Um, I, I met Bridget a few years back, um, and there's a particular challenge around how do we unlock um, a culture of entrepreneurship inside an organization that actually is already very well known for being um, highly entrepreneurial. So it's interesting to see here, we've had lots of uh, speakers and conversations in the breaks with some really great entrepreneurs. But how do you do that at scale inside an organization that is locked with tradition and, and certain ways of working? How do you create that breakthrough culture? So um, before we kick off, Bridget, would you better just tell us, just so everybody's on the same page around um, who Pernod Ricard is and what, what you do? So uh, Pernod Ricard is a, a global leading company in the wines, spirits and champagnes business. Um, so we have brands, a, a global portfolio of uh, premium brands, some of them that you'll probably recognise. So Absolute Vodka, uh, Jameson Irish Whiskey, uh, a few champagnes, Champagne Pere Jouet, and in our branded wine portfolio, Campo Viejo. And Group Panericard operates uh, a very decentralised business structure which devolves decision-making responsibility to its leadership teams and its local experts so that they're very close to the, the point of customer decision-making and to, very close to the, to the point of our business partners. Um, and that means from a, a UK operation point of view, and that's the business unit that I'm part of, that our responsibility here is about sales, marketing and distribution of the group's portfolio in this market. And we have a very diverse range of customers. So everywhere that you can either purchase or consume drinks, everywhere from the national grocery multiples through to the corner shop at the end of your road, pubs, bars, clubs, restaurants and hotels. So that's kind of, uh, kind of what we do. hope it gives you an idea. So... When I heard that this, this conference was, was taking place, I was really keen to get in touch because this story hadn't been told before. And the, one of the reasons I was most intrigued by the work that we ended up doing was that Bridget is not an innovation person. She's not a project management person. She's not an entrepreneur. She's not one of the usual suspects that would normally be the person who brings lean startup thinking into an organization. So who are you? Bridget Gardner, <laughs> tell us about your background and what you do. So my background is actually in uh, sales management. So I've looked after customers and sales teams in a uh, number of fast-moving consumer goods companies over time. In my role in Penny Ricard, I actually moved into human resources about five years ago. And I'm responsible there for capability development. And by that, I mean uh, interventions at individual, functional, and holistically at organizational level to make our business effective and bring in the skills that we need to, to do the job that we want to do. So that's, that's kind of the role that I've played in this. And my, my personal area of interest is in behavioral change. So starting from a position of people. So again, who, who was here yesterday and heard the, uh, the Pearson talk, which I thought was excellent, by the way. So um, that, that presentation for me was a great journey through how do you do transformation using lean principles. Um, and inevitably, I thought one of the, the elements that there probably wasn't time to go into, in all fairness, was people and culture. Do you remember on one side of the slides, there was people, culture, and all of those great things along the bottom? And my experience is working with organizations is, yeah, you have to deal with the people and the culture stuff, but we never really talk about how we do it. So the starting point for this story was all around how are we going to activate people? How are we going to turn on an army of, of entrepreneurs inside the company? So let's, let's rewind back to 2013 when we first met. What was going on inside the organization and what was the, the burning platform, if you like, for, for wanting to do more in this space? So two things, really. Firstly, it was you know very simple business objective about delivering sustainable growth for the organization in what is actually a very sophisticated 
and mature market and in extremely mature categories. So therefore, you know, our headroom, if you like, is, is um, driven and, and a product of the environment that we're operating in. And secondly, we, we are an organisation, and certainly our, our found the Recar family have a massively strong uh, history of being great entrepreneurs themselves. So it's a value that we have in our organisation, and everybody had a heart for entrepreneurship, um, felt that it was something that, that we wanted them to be able to do, to, to bring to life, to live as part of the values. But in reality, actually, people just don't know how to do that. So a lot of the questions that we asked was, well, OK, I have an objective or I have a competency, God forbid, we talk about competencies in this context, of entrepreneurship. How do you do that? And that was the question that we really set um, for Elvin, because when we looked at this environment, what we noticed is that there is a huge amount of information out there, but it's very, it's very often related to tech. So for you know, working in a, an alcohol industry or in the drinks industry or fast-moving consumer goods, it's very hard to make those stories super relevant and very transferable to what we needed to achieve. Great, okay. So, 20 th so you've got this, this, this ambition. Um, I remember we had some, a lot of backwards and forwards conversation with the board around how we're going to kick this off. And came up with this project, Project Ingenuity, and the idea of a thousand-day journey because this isn't something that you can switch on overnight. So, so tell us about what was that project? What was the impact of it? Where did it, where did it all begin? And, and why was it important? Why did you need a project? So I think we needed, we need, so for us, a project is something that starts and stops. So a moment when we're working on something, which means this is a, a big focus for the organisation. Naturally, we're very busy. We're actually quite a lean structure. So we're always short of time. We've always got lots to do. So we wanted to give people a sense of comfort that this is something that we are starting in one place and we know we've got a destination in mind. We know where we need to get to. Um, and ingenuity was a word that we used, particularly because if you look at a definition, it means being cleverly inventive. Clearly, for loads of our people, they are not about product development. So we wanted people to uh, be able to deliver this mindset. So people who work in core business processes, account pro uh, invoice processing, we wanted to look for iterative improvements and um, marginal gains in every part of our business, if you like. So when you talk about entrepreneurship, that's actually quite a difficult, a big thing to bring to life for them. But ingenuity just felt a little bit more accessible for everybody. And the first place that we started with this was by listening to what our teams were telling us, because we, we talked about it a lot. In fact, we, we rated ourselves 8 out of 10 for talking about it and 3 out of 10 for doing it. And that, that was the reality that we were faced with. But we listened a lot. We, we ran lots of focus groups. We conducted surveys. And by putting together the information and the insight about the way the organisation was feeling, we were able to go to our board with some strategic recommendations about delivering capability development in the organisation um, over the, the, what was the following year or so. So more than just a training programme then? Definitely more than a training programme, although training is a really important part of it. But probably for us, we ended up with a kind of classic five-point plan um, that we, we started to work on. And the first part of that was just about how do we have that discussion with our population? How do we convey that message meaningfully? And how do we get them to really believe us and engage with us when we say to them, we really want you to try things that you haven't done before. We really want you to think about new ways of doing things. How can we say that in a way which is going to be really meaningful for them? Um, and we launched with that, at our, you know, 
a typical forum of a company conference. And our leadership team absolutely blazed through um, great presentations, gave a lot of context to why it's important for our organization to be agile and flexible and inventive, and managed to sell that story, I think, really well. But just from sheer energy, nobody could have left that room feeling that what was said by our leadership team wasn't really something that they meant. So when they said, give it a go, try something different, test and learn, that people actually had a bit of a sense of confidence that they did have a genuine license to do that. And that, that was quite tough to achieve. We asked for feedback on that day and listened to what people were saying. And there was lovely energy, great, really great burning energy in the room. But that was punctuated with some cynicism, with people saying, oh, well, you know, you say that. Do you really mean it? And how do I do that? How to say, okay, great, you know, great, it's a lovely idea. What does that mean for me? What do you want me to do differently? So that, for me, that was a really inter interesting part. So I, I wasn't allowed at that conference because it was closed doors. <laughs> but the, the proof to, in the pudding, if you like, was that you showed up within six weeks, every employee was being trained in, in the stuff, which at one level I think great because you've got to equip people, but often I get asked to come in and train people in this stuff and then they don't have anything to point it towards. There's no, there's no point of, of engagement, if you like. What was different about what I saw inside Pernod Ricard is that people were given the, the tools to do this stuff and train very, very well, I thought. Um, but, um, but then, what did you do inside the organization to actually make it meaningful so that people actually then did something with it and applied the, the tools and the processes? Well, I think several things. So one is, one is it was a very much a rolling dialogue. So from the workshops that we conducted, we started with our senior leaders. And uh, you know, then we, through that, we identified, so where are our problems? What are the stumbling blocks? What are the obstacles to us being able to be um, open-minded and, and you know, provide an environment where change is going to flourish? And, and we kept that dialogue rolling, and we kept a dialogue with the organization, feeding back to people. We did events, we had workshops, we had communication, um, you know, telling them how we were doing, what we were finding, what we were doing about it. And, and just sorry to cut in, I remember there was one thing that you did that I, I've seen others do well, which is be deliberate about a 12-month communication plan. So at this point, the CEO is going to say this. He's going to turn up at someone's desk, and he's going to make a big deal, symbols all the way through, but planned. Not yeah. too staged and too contrived, but actually a sense of continual narrative. That's right. So just just so it wasn't something that we we launched and, and let go. So so that was that was a kind of a running a rolling program. And in addition to that, we did actually take the decision to take a tiny a proportion of our reward, and uh, incentivise people to to play a part in it. So for absolutely everybody in the organisation, there was a small part of their bonus which was assigned to what, what, is, what is it that you're doing differently this year? What change are you bringing? What new ideas are, are you opening up? And in, in that capability development progress we, program, we talked about where is the space to do something differently? Where are the opportunities for us? And we used Blue Ocean Light to do that. We talked, you know, really basic stuff. Um, will anybody care if we do that differently? Who's your customer and what, what's their view of what we, we're trying to, to do here? Whether that be an internal customer or our, our genuine external business partners. And um, we used Jobs To Be Done for that. And then we used uh, the principles of Lean MVP and that was like a light bulb because at that moment when we put that kind of really simple framework on the table, it really felt like the world changed. So our MD at the time said, oh, it just changed 
everything because suddenly everybody thought, ah, oh, okay, right, so now I get it. So if I do it like this and I'm, I'm not going to spend 50K on a pilot, I'm going to spend 50 quid and see what I can learn. And then suddenly it became accessible to everybody and everybody genuinely could see how they could play a role. So that, that was a big light bulb for me. I remember the guy who said that. So we're running the training. It was head of marketing at the back of the room. I actually thought he was falling asleep and suddenly he woke up and said that. So what you're saying is it's not let's spend 50K on a pilot. What can we learn for 50 quid? And it almost became... See, for me, language is a big deal in this when you're introducing the ideas into the organisation. And that little soundbite just resonated around the corridors. What can we learn for 50 quid? Which drove some people nuts because they knew the question was coming. Oh, I've got this great idea. I just need two or three thousand pounds. Yeah, but what could you learn for 50 quid? And of course, no one learned anything for 50 quid, but it's the principle, it's a soundbite that, that reminds people, think small before you go, well, dream big, start small. Exactly. So um, what, what was the role from... A leadership perspective. I mean, Dennis at the time, De uh, who was the, the, the CEO, was, was a big champion. Um, what would you say his role was in actually delivering momentum here? I mean, a thousand days at one level is a long time that everyone could think, this is going to be a grind. So what was his role in that? So I think, I think we were really fortunate in that he is very bold in the way that he, he tells his story to the organisation. So we had... Um, you know, him, he used an expression called permission to do, which sounds so simple when you, you articulate it in this environment. But actually, you know, if, if people genuinely feel that they have permission to do, it's, it's really liberating. So just, just having a figurehead, somebody who had, he has immense personal energy and is, is really very engaging. And I think we were very, very lucky to have somebody who would really sort of carry the torch for this over a period of time. Um, but it, because he was so enthusiastic about it and because we provided a kind of a framework of methodology which was super simple to use, all of our leaders were able to, to step up to the plate to actually play a role. And we also cascaded some of the responsibility for that into different functions. So we set up a team after about 12 months that we called at that time functional champions. We actually called them coaches now. But at that time, the functional champions were people who we invested in a little bit more capability training. We, we focused a bit more on a bit more rigour, whereas in some ways the principles of the thing, if you like, were much more important to the, to the wider population. And, and by doing that, we, you, you could take, if you like, and bottle and distill a little bit of that real enthusiasm that we, we, we had in the leadership team and take it and make it available daily to the teams who needed support. So people who wanted help with ge ideas generation or help with how do you actually execute on an idea that you've got, who do you have to sell that to? And they were really instrumental, and we're still working with that population at the moment to try to drive some of the skills that we know we need to, to really keep this alive. So some of the last couple of questions. So the, the first one is, um, it's all very well giving people the tools, and it's all very well people giving a target to go after and creating an environment where my manager feels like he's a safe place to do innovation. Um, but what I saw you do, which I think was really important, was you started to develop capability in two other areas. And one was trust, which I, can, I think often can feel very fluffy. But actually, a lot of this is around trust and fear and creating a safe pace, place. So developing trust and also creating, I, I guess, strategic imagination. How do you develop real creative sparks in people so that the environment, when you've got fabulous offices that you've moved to halfway through this process as well, where trust and creativity can come together 
and these tools then can really start, start to come to life. So from a, from a cultural perspective, at least what I observed as an outsider, was a somewhat unique environment where people felt safe to play. Now, what was really interesting for me was that with the best will in the world, there weren't many huge ideas that emerged out of this. But what it did do, and th th this is where I, I think MVPs, particularly in the lean, lean sense, have grown in their applicability. It's not necessarily about focusing on something that is deeply uncertain and therefore we need to learn forward. Actually, doing any innovation in any context is really hard these days because often it requires predicting behavior change, which is really hard because of the VUCA world that we're in. So even in the core business, what I observed was MVPs lowering the stakes so that everybody felt that they could move forward, even though they were focusing sometimes on things like, let's have a better spreadsheet or let's run a different meeting. It was all good and it all lifted the, the tide, if you like. So that's just an external observation. All great, but what about the commercial impact? So we ha we've had really strong performance over a number of years, but you know, for, for this morning, let me just focus on our current financial year and our half-year results that we, we talked about earlier um, in this calendar year. So our year runs from um, July to June. So half one this year, we, we are performing ahead of the industry. We are the fastest growing spirit supplier um, in our branded wine area at Christmas, which clearly is a key trading period for our industry, we actually achieved clicking into double-digit growth in what's actually a slightly declining category. So from a sort of commercial point of view, I think bottom line, we've got some really important outcomes that we can point to, which is, is fantastic for a kind of what's been essentially a people initiative. Um, in addition to that, so in terms of feedback, if you like, the kind of relationships that we have, because in some ways we are innovating around how we relate to our customers, that's, that's what our space is. And we have got, we've de developed a great reputation, so some of the feedback that we have from our customers is that our teams are very open-minded, you know, they're open to giving something new a go, um, that our proposals are very often very creative and interesting, that they like to work with us. So for us, that's a victory. You know, that's something really positive which we would point to. And the last set of results, which for me have been the most, you know, something that's given me the most kind of joy to see it happen, is that we run employee engagement surveys. So over a two-year period, we, there's two key questions that we ask in our survey. And the first of those is, this is, is this a place where you can test and learn or innovate without fear of negative outcomes if you fail? And we had actually uh, a 34-point improvement in that measure between two employee engagement surveys. So just an incredible statistical move in the way people felt about the environment we provided. Um, and the other area is one where we talked about um, I'm, I'm able to challenge the status quo. And again, we had 24 points movement on that one. And we do compare very favorably to global FMCG comparisons uh, in both of those areas by sort of 20 in 20 plus points difference. So for us, that's very differentiating. So from my perspective, I work in human resources. It's about employee, it's what, what's our employer brand and what's the proposition, what's the environment we're inviting people to come and join the team in. So for us, those are very, very important measures that we can point to. And last year, we, were, we, we entered for the first time the Times Top 100 employers and, and came into the, the top 50 of that. And that was an amazing outcome for us. And we really see this as being a key driver of achieving the kind of environment that people absolutely really want to be part of. 
So um, I think those are, the, those are the key results I'll point to. Great. We're out of time, so we'll leave it there. Thank Great. you, Bridget. Thank you.